0: The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to
1: the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric
0: Little. Welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Happy to have you with us once again. I am the namesake. This is a podcast about high school football in the mid-Ohio Valley. Like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast if you haven't already done so. Rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on SoundCloud. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Coming up, we'll talk about last week's games. We'll also have an interview with Richie Honey head coach Rick Haught, and we'll preview the games of the week coming up. But first, there's some big news that came out last week, late last week, we we had recorded and released the episode. One of the things that we talked about in the episode was we still needed to hear some guidance and we still had questions that need answers from the WVSSAC about how the postseason will roll off in fall sports. And we got that last week. And in a lot of ways, it has been a source of controversy since. I'll read directly from the release the WVSSAC put out. Much like regular season play, this year's postseason contest will look a little different this year as a result of COVID-19 to best safeguard the safety of all student Athletes, the WVSSCC consulted with the WVDE, the WVDHHR, and state health officials on the appropriate protocols to put in place. Apparently, they didn't consult with grammarians because there's a lot of redundancy in this. I digress. Based on the recommendations of our state health officials, postseason play will be conducted according to the following guidelines. Schools that are in counties that are in green, yellow, and gold on the Saturday map are eligible to participate in postseason play. Schools in gold counties may compete against schools in green, yellow, and gold for postseason. That was not allowed during the regular season. The only schools Gold Counties could play were other schools in their county and schools from other gold counties. And that's not the case in the postseason. You can compete against green, yellow, and gold if you're gold. This week we've seen Wood County go into the gold, and because of that, Parkersburg, South and Williamstown have no one to play this week. But that would be rectified in the postseason because gold can play green or yellow. Schools and counties in orange on the Saturday map are not eligible to participate in football, soccer, and volleyball postseason identified as high to moderate risk by the NFHS. And we've seen this in the news this week because Buchanan Upshur, their boys soccer team has been told they could not, then could, then could not participate in the sectionals in boys soccer, and then everyone else in the section decided to change the schedule and move their section back a week to let Upshur County try to play, which is a move that's incredible in its sportsmanship, but also could possibly hurt every other team in that section if their counties change color status by next Saturday. Cross-country teams and sideline cheer identified as low-risk by the NFHS in Orange Counties may participate in postseason if they receive a negative COVID test within seven days at the start of the contest. I get why they put cheer in there, because they put cheer so that they could show them somewhere a little bit goofy because, you know, if you're in an orange county and you're a cheerleader and no one can play in the sport that you're cheering in, um, I guess we're just gonna have a lot of Friday nights in Orange Counties where the cheerleaders can go and, and and they can stand there, but no one else can do anything on the field. I'm kidding, I know we're coming up on regional cheer, and that impacts their abilities to go to those competitions and do the thing there. Where this is getting controversial this week is cross country. Schools and counties in red on the Saturday map are not eligible to participate in postseason play, as well as a county. Who has verified is verified as red during the week? So, if you go red during the week, you're done. If you're red on Saturday, also done. This has been particularly controversial in Doddridge County, where the cross country regionals are this week. Doddridge County has the number one team in Class A boys and the number two team in Class A girls, and they have individual runners that have chances to win state championships. But unless things change by the time they go to run those races, Doddridge County will not be able to participate in the state meet. And that would be a huge shame because those are teams and athletes that have chances to win state titles, and they've worked very hard toward that throughout the season. Counties in green, yellow, and gold may host a postseason contest. Spectator attendance for postseason contests will be capped at 20% of the facility's capacity. Also, there are some modifications to football released last week. The minimum number of games to qualify for the playoffs was set at 4. No bonus points can be earned from opponents who are playing after their respective state has started their playoffs. So if you pick up an Ohio school right now, you don't benefit from that because you don't get their wins. They've started their playoffs, so say Parkersburg South would go pick up Marietta, you don't get Marietta's wins. You don't get the points from Marietta's wins. I know Frontier is a team that's just recently lost and and will become available again. That would probably deter some West Virginia teams from going over to get them unless they, too, are out of the playoffs. So, uh, that was a concern for a lot of people on the message boards last week. We'll get to the whole thing in just a second. At the conclusion of the regular season, the top eligible 16 teams in each class will enter the playoffs. It doesn't specifically say here, but the regular season is going to end as scheduled the weekend of November 6th. 6th and 7th. So if you're in the top 16 and you're not eligible, you'll be dropped out and other teams would be shuffled in. So in other words, if you're the 18th or the 19th team on Saturday, you might have a chance to get in by the time the COVID metric map comes out that evening. It might knock out three or four teams ahead of you and you slide in all of a sudden. And any team that hasn't played a maximum of 10 games may add a game until November 28th. Uh, I really like this rule. This is pretty much what they're doing in Ohio where you can play 10 games they capped the regular season at six games there, and then went to the playoffs, and then after the playoffs, you can play up to 10 until the end of November in Ohio. So it's the same thing they're doing there. What it is, it's a deconstructed season, essentially. It's a cash grab from the state boards because the attendance money there goes directly to them, and that's how they fund that. So Ohio just moved it up to make sure they get it in a little bit earlier, but West Virginia is doing the same thing. They're capping the regular season at the weekend of November 6th and 7th, and then anybody who still has games to get in can play those. So you're going to have a few weeks this year, and November, with playoff games and regular season games happening concurrently. You might see some regular season games happen on a Tuesday or Wednesday night like you are now. You're seeing, especially in the southern part of the state, games all over the place, as far as on the calendar. But you can play those ten games and get your ten games in up until the end of November, and I really like that rule, especially for a place like Mon County. A team like Clay Battelle that didn't get on the field until a couple weeks ago. Uh, now they've got a few more weeks to go try to get six or seven or eight games in. Something that constitutes a fairly full schedule. Maybe you make the playoffs and get some of your games in that way, and then maybe you go back and play a game or two after that. Maybe you don't get in and you still play games, but you're out there participating and you're out there doing something fun and you're out there for the love and the pride of your community. So that's, in a nutshell, the playoff guidelines for all fall sports and then specifically for football. So once again, if you're in the green, the yellow, and the gold, you're doing all right. If you're in the orange and the red, your season comes to an end. That could lead to some really awkward situations. It's one thing to say this and to talk about this in August and in July and in the middle of summer when these are all abstract possibilities. But I think it's going to get a lot harder now that the rubber's meeting the road for some people and some administrators and some decision makers. And you're seeing what that looks like. You're seeing some backlash from communities where teams are going to have championship chances taken away from them. We've seen again in cross country this week with Doddridge County, soccer with Buchanan upshire If you're a red county like Doddridge, how do you get back from the red? That's so difficult to get back from the red unless there's a rule change that or a policy change that affects. Affects your county and changes the metrics there. So tough to get your numbers down to a point to where that community spread is reduced and you're able to do stuff again. So it's much easier to talk about those things when they're abstract concepts, but when they're right here in front of you, it gets difficult. And I think what's so tough for people to stomach about this and about all of it right now is that for so many years, if nothing else, the WVSSAC and to that matter, the OHSAA in Ohio and every other state federation, they have strived arrived. To make things fair for as many people as possible and ideally everyone right now the one thing that's not being explicitly said is that we know ahead of time this is not going to be fair we know that there are going to be people they know that there are going to be people that lose out on opportunities and chances to win titles and possible state titles and that's kind of going unsaid right now is that in all that's going on right now we know that it's going to be nearly impossible to make this as equitable as possible the idea right now it seems is to do their best to get as close as they can to something that resembles normal and to a champion that's decided in the most fair way. And unfortunately, there will be great teams in all three classes in multiple sports that lose their ability to compete for championships this year simply because the COVID metrics did not line up in their favor. And this is maybe a fault that goes all the way up to Governor Justice, if I'm being honest. It was a mistake to use high school sports as an incentive to slow community spread. And that's exactly what was done. And there were some people that were saying it around then. I was a little bit cynical of that. Like, no, they're not leveraging kids, and they're not leveraging their extracurricular activities. But now that we're here, and now that it really hasn't slowed the community spread, in fact, community spread is growing bigger and bigger for reasons that have nothing to do with schools opening or for reasons that have nothing to do with school sports, we're not seeing that spread of the virus slowed in a lot of places. And now, these high school sports that you've used as, as a leverage in the community, they, they didn't work for a couple reasons. There's a lot of people that have no skin in the game, they have no kids in the programs, no kids that play, or no kids, period. Or they do, and they just don't care about these activities and sports. And you also have to deal with the fact that there's a lot of people who just don't believe there's a problem going on. There's still people that do not believe there's a pandemic going on, and there are still people that think it's going away November 3rd. Neither one of those things is true, but I can't sit here any, any longer and, and shout and tell you to believe something that you either don't believe. I mean, I figure if you don't believe that the coronavirus is a big deal, you probably are not listening to this podcast at this point because I've not made my feelings on the virus a secret. I mean, I've tried to keep this as apolitical as possible and be as unbiased, but unfortunately, even science sometimes gets political now. But the SSAC is doing their best in a bad situation, and the state administrators are doing their best in a bad situation. But I will say this. It's not the SSAC that's to blame in a lot of this. It's all the way up to Governor Justice because school activities were used as an incentive and a leverage to get communities to do the right thing, and they didn't do the right thing. And a lot of these problems, as we said, have nothing to do with school sports. Doddridge County's cases, I'm told, are tied to two outbreaks at churches. The Pleasance County Middle School case was tied to a teacher's lounge incident where a teacher maybe spread it in the teacher's lounge. A lot of the cases you're hearing in schools are people not in the media because the media is respecting the wishes of the health department and the fact that these are health situations and these people are afforded privacy that test positive for the virus. But what you're hearing from people on the street, I've heard it and I'm sure you've heard it as well, is that there are still Still a lot of people that are showing up to work sick. If you work as a teacher in an industry where there are literally substitute teachers, people you can call with one phone call and have someone to replace you your day at work and in your job, and you don't do it, then that's on you. Teachers a lot of times will complain about how it creates more work for them when they have to get substitute teachers. But almost no other profession has a pool of people waiting to do those jobs if they're not ready to do it themselves. I'm someone who worked through a cold last week. Should I have done that? Probably not. I don't have the luxury of having a lot of people that are waiting to do what I do and that can do what I do, unfortunately. I would like to have that ability to take time off and to do the right thing. And I admit that I I, I should not have worked a couple weeks ago. I probably should not have done the game that I did a couple weeks ago. It was my best game of the year, oddly enough. But there's a lot of people that are trying to rationalize old thinking of going to work and working through minor illnesses when you don't feel your best. And that's hard in a place like West Virginia because you're in to have that work ethic, and you're ingrained to work through minor issues. But right now is a time, especially if you're in an industry where there are ready replacements available to go, make that happen, and do the right thing so that you slow the spread. But to get back to the issue here, there are a lot of implications of this plan. As we said, the top eligible 16 teams qualify. So it's not Friday night of the final week of the season where we're going to know who makes the playoffs. It's 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon when the COVID metric map comes out, and we see who's knocked out. they are going to be some heartbroken teams. It's going to be like Selection Saturday, almost. People clicking, updating, and refreshing that map. Because if you're orange or red on that Saturday, you're not good to go. And it's going to be that way every subsequent round. You're going to see rounds of playoffs this year where forfeits happen. I don't know what happens if it gets up to the Super 6. I'm not sure if they've thought of that. But there's a possibility a team gets scrubbed from the Super 6 because their county changes after they've won a semifinal game. I don't know why that's something the SSAC hasn't thought of or hasn't released any guidance. I think they need to give some guidance out there, whether they have a plan internally or not, of how they're going to fill that vacancy. Are they going to go to the semifinal games and the semifinal teams and decide which one of those 2 semifinal losers would get to go play in a state title game? I think they need to make that clear, and I think that's what they would do rather than have a forfeit stand in the state title game, and rather than have a no contest. They're going to fill that Super 6 like it's a bowl game, okay? They're going to fill it like a third-tier bowl game. And the unfortunate message that that sends out is that these high school teams, are replaceable at that point. It's one thing to do in a college program, but these high school teams, But you're filling a spot with these high school teams. And I'll throw this out there as well. There's a good chance this year that all three state title games are broadcast on live television. at Sports t Sportsnet has usually picked those up in the past. They don't have Penguins hockey this year until at least the new year. The NHL is not going to start back up for a little while. So they're going to be looking for programming. And whereas they've been able to run one or two of these state championship games live, and they've run all three of them on tape delay in the past, I guarantee they will be eager to jump for the opportunity to do all three of these games. So there are plans being made inside the SSAC, I guarantee this. They'll be released in due time, and they'll not make a lot of people happy. There's a lot of things I wouldn't want to be right now. A parent of a student athlete is one of them. It's tough enough to get your student athlete motivated, prepared, ready, emotionally, and physically to play a sport right now, but especially with COVID layered in, when all your hard work and all your preparation might go for naught. That's an unfortunate real-life lesson. Ask any spring sport participant in 2020. There are those that are going to be left out in the cold here this fall for reasons that are very similar it's a shame there's not a lot that can be done about it and I think everyone's going to have to be as flexible and understand that the administrators, the SSAC, they're trying their best to make a bad situation uh, not as bad as it could possibly be. But there will be some winners and there will be some clear losers. That's what's different about past years. In past years, the SSAC is able to ensure a level playing field, or they work to ensure that, but there's no level playing field in a pandemic, as we're finding out. This pandemic doesn't know state borders or boundaries or county borders or boundaries. It goes Everywhere and, and affects everyone. No matter how much money you have, no matter where you live, it doesn't play fair. When you're dealing with someone that doesn't play fair, you're inherently dealing with with a playing field that's not level. And the SSAC is doing their best, but unfortunately, it's a battle they're not going to win. There will be some people hurt, and there will be some controversy that comes from this. Things may change between now and then. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens if a team that has a chance to win a title is taken away from that chance to win a title because uh, of a change in color. Uh, Doddridge. County right now. If you're a Dobridge County football fan, you're in some big trouble. you got a couple weeks left to get those numbers out of the red so that the Bulldogs can take the field and, and take their chance at a state championship. They're currently number one in the Metro News power rankings. They may not have a chance to play for a title this year. Who knows? The cross-country student-athletes likely will not. There will be situations like this over the next month. Bear with us, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what changes are made, and we'll try to get through the best we can. Schedule changes for this week because of Wood County status in the COVID metric map. PHS will play John Marshall on Friday. Wood County being gold means that you can only play schools in your county, means that you can play only schools from other gold counties. So PHS will link up with Marshall County and John Marshall. That leaves Parkersburg South and Williamstown without a game. You could look at that and say, well, why doesn't Parkersburg South just play PHS? And that's a pretty good question. I didn't realize Wood County was headed gold until I heard it on a high school game night. Uh, I heard Mike Bias's interview, and he told Fred Persinger on high school game night this week that if Wood went gold as they expected then, then it would be PHS linking up with John Marshall. That was the game they had lined up, which would leave South out in the cold. So PHS was already leaning toward John Marshall as of Friday night. Did Parkersburg South come into the conversation? I don't know. But if I'm Mike Bias in PHS... I'm not sure that I want to play South this year, to be honest. And if I'm Nathan Tanner in South, I'm not sure that I want to play PHS. And that's not going to rub a lot of people the right way. But what incentive do either of those teams have to play one another other than the old, well, let's play for community pride? That doesn't mean anything to the kids in the locker room. It doesn't mean anything to those teams. If you're Mike Bias, you're someone who has coached a long time in North Carolina. And in just about every interview that I've done with Bias, whether it was the playoffs or not, Bias always has something to say about the playoff system. He doesn't think it's fair. This state. He comes from a state where the playoffs were determined very much like they are in basketball and baseball and softball and sports like that, where you play the teams in your region or your district, you get out of that, and then you go on and play everyone else. And your eligibility for the playoffs is determined by your record against a common set of teams that everyone plays. And we don't have that here. Instead, we have the 16 team field in all three classes, and we have these conferences. And his team happens to be in a difficult conference with a lot of very good teams that beat up on one another. And then you look at Parkersburg South and the OVAC, which doesn't seem as difficult because you're not playing Capital, South Charleston, G-Dub, schools like that year in and year out, and maybe getting your brains bashed in by some of these Charleston-area schools. Cabell Midland right now. That's another one. So you play a tough schedule that has no bearing on your ability to get into the playoffs, but does hamper your ability to get into the playoffs. Have the MSAC beat up on one another and nobody make it to the Super Six. It's kind of like the SEC versus the ACC. For Bob not playing south would be just kind of like letting the system work for him for once. He's got some valid points in that. I can understand where if you come from a state where it's one way and it's now this way in West Virginia, that would be a little frustrating, especially when you're in a difficult conference. And for 1-6 Parkersburg South, whether they play them this week, whether they play them next week or the week after is scheduled, that's going to be their playoffs at 1-6, and six, unless they get a lot of help to get in. By a lot of help, I mean a lot of counties where the metrics don't line up for them to play. Why would you as Parkersburg want to play a one team that's going to be loaded up and ready for you and primed to give you the game of their season because that will be their playoffs. And if I'm south, I'm not sure that I would want to move Parkersburg up and play them any earlier than I had to either because they haven't shown any ability to stop the run game this year. They've played some very good running games and they've not stopped the run well at all this year. The health on that team is not great, and to be honest, I'm not sure that the morale is all that great on a team that's one in six with five straight losses. It's bound not to be. That's just the way things are at this point of a season that's going the way their season's going. If that game doesn't happen at all, it's going to cause some shockwaves, but it won't surprise me. I would like to see it happen. I think it's a great thing for the community, especially in a year like this, where so many things that we're used to seeing happen have been taken away. But I'll be surprised if that game is played, to be quite honest. So either way, they could have played this week, but they're not going to. PHS is going to go to Marshall County and play John Marshall. Williamstown South, no game for them. Ritchie County will pick up Roan County this week, and that's a great chance for the Rebels to get some Class AA bonus points if they can knock off the Roan Raiders. Finally, let's take a look at what happened last week. PHS beats Bluefield 29-8. The defense of the Big Reds held Bluefield to less than 200 yards, and that is not to be overlooked because, as we've said on past shows, PHS's defense has historically not been their strong point over the last several years, and Bluefield has run the ball very well. Last week on the show, John Chalfin said that he thought Bluefield was going to try to make it an east-west horizontal game on them, and apparently PHS was able to get that speed to the edges and contain Bluefield's speed. How about Bryson Singer? Work. He threw for three touchdowns, ran for one more. Another strong game for PHS's junior. So the Big Reds are going to go play John Marshall, a team that has excellent edge speed. Their 1-2 punch at backfield threats may be as good as any in the state. I had a chance to see them earlier this year. Dalton Flowers and Alex Burton. Flowers 6'1", 185. A more stand-up runner than what you usually see, but once it gets to the hole, he's grease lightning. He's gone. Burton, 5'10", 140. The smaller back of the two and the one that tends to run lower to the ground gets some of those tough yards, but once he gets in space, he's deceptively fast as well, So it's going to be a bit of a more north-south running threat for PHS to handle this week, but a very good John Marshall team with a lot of speed. Not saying they have Bluefield speed or depth in the running game, but they'll be a challenge as well because they're going to be a little bit more physical and line up and come at Parkersburg in a way maybe they weren't challenged this week. It's Class AA team, but don't discount Bluefield because of that and don't discredit this win for PHS. This is the first time Bluefield has lost a regular season game to an in-state opponent since October 28th of 2016. It was almost four years ago. They lost to James Monroe, 34-27. Big Reds have won four of last five games, and they're surging now. And this is exactly the kind of win that can be a springboard for this team. Again, Bryson Singer, three touchdown passes, two to Carter King. Good defense. A really enjoyable win if you're a Big Reds fan. St. Mary's ran away from Magnolia late. And give credit to the Blue Eagles. This was a 14-7 game at the half. The Blue Devils outscored Magnolia 27 to nothing in the second half of a 41-7 win. And they finally said Trey Moss, the way he has needed to be fed all year. 23 carries, 191 yards, 3 touchdowns. Folks, that's 8.3 yards per carry on average. And I don't have his full season statistics, but if you got a guy that's ripping off carries at 8 yards a touch, there's no reason he needs to see the ball fewer than 20 times a game. And I know there's a lot of talent on that team. Ben Long in the backfield. Kyle West has to get the touches, either the passing game or the running game that he needs to get. But, my goodness, this is an elite threat in the state. You're not given this kind of a threat very often especially not having one transfer from your next door neighbor in mid-August right before your season starts St. Mary's was given manna from heaven and finally they're using that to their advantage and getting Moss going which is what we said they should do a couple weeks ago on either this show or Countdown to Kickoff St. Mary's only threw one time in the second half and it connected on a touchdown pass to Logan Rice two of Brennan Boron's three completions brought points, the other was a Darian Borte two point conversion try, also a guy that John, Mike Nichols, and I said should get involved with this offense. We're talking about this on Countdown to Kickoff. So it seems like someone from St. Mary's is listening to either this podcast or Countdown and maybe doing the things that are the common sense things to do. The Blue Devils were given a game by Magnolia, give Magnolia a lot of credit for the way they played in that game, but St. Mary's just too strong in the second half. Richie County blasts Webster County. This is a score that just pops off the page. 73 to 18. And it wasn't like they tried to run up the score, I think, too often. When you see a score, people just assume that the team's running up the score. You really need to know a lot more of the circumstances behind a game before you go make a judgment about the score. It looks ugly. It's 73 18. Anytime you start hanging, you know, a fifty burger, sixty burger on people or beyond that, that's going to draw some attention. But seventy-three to eighteen comes with two punt return touchdowns from Graydon McKinney. A Gus Morrison 100-yard pick six. They got four touchdown passes from Ethan Haught. Two of those to Morrison. Morrison also ran for a TD. And they got Cody Wayne going in the running game. Dakota Wayne, eight carries, 110 yards. Two of those eight carries went for touchdowns. Just really impressive stuff. This is a diverse offense, and this is a team that is going places offensively. They also got a defensive effort that held Webster below 200 total yards in this game. Uh, they pick up Roan County this week in opponent roulette. And this is at Class AA points for Ritchie County. They were supposed to play work this week. The Tigers can't play because of the COVID metrics map. That was really the only game on their schedule that caused you to raise an eyelash for the rest of the season. And not that Roan is a bad team, but Roan's not had the success even in Class AA that War County's had in Class A, so the opportunity is there to pick up some bonus points and pick up some Class AA bonus points against this Roan County team. Richie and Roan played for a long time uh, in multiple sports. They were in the same section when they were in AA together last. Roan might be coming into this just a little gassed. They picked up a 27-13 win against Grafton on Monday this week, so they're coming back at this as a short week after playing just Monday night going to 2-3 and three with that 27-13 win. You're seeing a lot of teams do this. They'll play on a Friday. If they can't play on a Friday, they'll play on a Monday and then the following Friday. Sunday's available. Now teams are playing all over the place, trying to give themselves three and four days of rest if possible. Doesn't always happen, but Roan County playing on a short week after their 27-13 win for Grafton on Monday. We'll see if the Raiders are worn out or if Ritchie County can keep their winning ways alive. Williamstown rolled over Tyler Consolidated. They got two touchdown passes from Braden Modisett and a touchdown run. Trevor Oates with two touchdown runs. Williamstown defense was stout. They held Tyler to 187 yards. Williamstown as we said will be off this week after the COVID metrics map turned gold for Wood County and for Williamstown their remaining games are in question as well. They were supposed to play this week not going to happen. They were supposed to play at Doddridge next week. That's definitely up in the air and then at Magnolia the week after that to finish out the regular season. Uh, It's hard to tell if those happen either between their opponent's status or their own status. Neither one of those things are set in stone right now. So the Yellow Jackets get a quality win over Tyler Consolidated, and Tyler, all of a sudden, a team that got off to a hot start, but now they're kind of sputtering in the middle of the year. They're looking to bounce back from a few losses in a row now. And for the second straight week against Williamstown, Tyler struggles to get less than 200 yards of total offense, so they need to find some answers and find them fast. Taking a look at the Ohio playoffs, Frontier bows out of the playoffs with their loss to Shady Side. The Tigers led that game 20 to nothing before the Cougars scored. Shady Side ended up picking up 429 total yards, yards in that game. The Cougars are now 5-3. and three. Their playoff run is done, but as we've said before, the Ohio rules allow them to play up to 10 games, so they can play two more games. They've got about a month to do that. They plan to play the rest of their schedule, so you might see a uh, Frontier River game, depending on when River gets knocked out. Uh, you might see the Cougars come into West Virginia and play a team in West Virginia that has been knocked out of the playoffs, or uh, a team that is trying to qualify for the playoffs. But as we've said, you don't get any points from playing a team from Another state that is out of the playoffs. It's already played their playoffs and they're finishing up the string, which will be unfortunate because at five and three, you should be able to get those five bonus win- bonus points from those five wins over Frontier. That's not going to be the case. So I don't think that's going to incentivize a lot of West Virginia teams to cross the river, maybe for good, maybe that limits community spread, maybe for bad, maybe it limits some games from happening. So again, the Cougars, their playoff run is done. River's still alive in the playoffs with a really ugly looking seven to six win over Waterford. You don't expect a game with Waterford to be a game that is a defensive struggle, Uh, but this one was a slugfest. River wins 7-6. They'll host Eastern. They're a number 11 seed. They upset number 6 Caldwell. That River-Eastern game is set for Saturday night at uh, Martin Flannery Field at River High School. Belpre is out of their playoffs after a loss to Fort Fry. They have two more games because they played a tune-up game uh, in the week before their playoff run. They had a bye and so they picked up Alexander last week and played Alexander 1. So they came into that playoff game 3-4, and four, now 3-5 and five after the loss to Fort Fry. So the Tigers have a few weeks to play two more games. Warren is still alive. The Fighting Matt Kimes' former Parkersburg South assistant Matt Kimes and his Warren Warriors still alive after their double overtime win against John Glenn. And they will visit St. Clairsville on Saturday. And Marietta still playing regular season games after their elimination. Uh, they played a regular season game and a loss this week. They dropped to 2-6. and six after their loss to Portsmouth this week, they can play two more games in their regular season as well. So belbury has got two more, Marietta's got two more, Frontier has two more, River's still alive in the Ohio playoffs. Going back to West Virginia, Parkersburg South fell behind 28 to nothing in a blowout loss to Morgantown. They just did not have the pep or the spark. They had two drives that stalled inside the red zone. They couldn't stop the run, and turnovers plagued South again. Both teams committed four turnovers in the game. Not all of them impacted play equally or impacted the game equally equally, the outcome equally. For Parkersburg South, it feels like a different verse of the same song as what we've seen already from them this year. An inability to stop the run, turnovers at the wrong times, drives they can't finish. Again, two drives stalled inside the red zone, one of those on the one-yard line. It's probably a good thing Parkersburg South has the week off. They look like a tired group of people. That's seven straight weeks they've played. And I know people make this argument a lot of times and say, gee, they're kids, they have energy, they can do all kinds of stuff. No, no, they really can't. That's a tough thing to do, to play high school football that many weeks in a row, and not have some kind of a letdown, especially if things aren't going well. If they are going well, you get some adrenaline and a boost from that adrenaline. If they're not going well, that's tough to show up every day and to put in that effort. And this is getting to the time of year we're there. Actually, we're at the time of the year where it's tough to go and put in effort when you're not getting the results. And Parkersburg South's not getting the results this year, so it's going to be a battle for the players and the coaching staff to keep them on track for the rest of their season, whatever that happens to be. Whether they get back on the field and play somebody before Parkersburg High School, and it's supposed to be Wheeling Park on the schedule next week. Uh, Whether that happens, who knows? Whether they just get PHS in, who knows? But because of the changes in West Virginia, they can now, if they don't make the playoffs, they can now go back and play a 10th game in the middle of November. They might do it. We'll see. It's hard to tell. But Parkersburg South off this week. A good time to get healthy, to heal up, to find yourself, to go find out what kind of team you want to be. Regardless of whether or not they play a regular season game after PHS, they've got about two and a half weeks to figure out what it's going to take to get them to the playoffs, what they want to be. If they can't make the playoffs, then how do they want to go out? Do they want to play PHS and put everything into that game? Do they want to try to pick someone up after that and and get to ten games? The future will be theirs to write, and it's going to be up to that program to decide what to do with it. If it were me, I'd consider playing that tenth game. Say you lose everybody to basketball or wrestling. That was going to play in a winter sport. Let your younger players play in that game. Why not use it as preparation? That's a varsity football game. That's a valuable experience. I don't know why. You You wouldn't do that if you're Parkersburg South or anybody else. But right now, South is a team that has a shortage of one game at this point because they're not going to play this week. So if I'm Parkersburg South, I look at my basketball players and say, you can play if you'd like, but I'll understand if you go play basketball. And then go start sophomores. Go start freshmen. Go start, you know, a JV All-Star team with whoever from the varsity wants to play with the seniors. Why not? Give it all you got. That very much is a possibility for this Patriots team. We'll see what happens, and they'll have to figure things out in two and a half weeks to see where they want to go with their season.
1: Stay connected with us on Facebook, like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show.
0: Earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with Ritchie County Head Coach Rick Hot. Now, during the interview, you hear us use a lot of first names, but the guys we're talking about for Ritchie County, Ethan Hot, Gus Morrison, and Graydon McKinney. Coach, you were able to get points in a lot of different ways last week against Webster County, special teams in defense particularly. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think our kids did a really good job. If they got the ball in space, they were really successful. And mostly, you know, Graydon returned the two punts for the touchdown, and then Gus got an interception at the goal line and returned it. But both of those kids are very elusive in space, and
0: that's what we got into. We talk about them so much on offense but it's also important to note the contributions they make on the defensive side of the ball
1: you're right and i've talked all year about how seasoned i think our secondary is and that's grading on one side guess on the other and blaine bowie the third one at safety and we're, we feel very secure in the experience that those guys have but you, you know they are i think teams do have trouble throwing the ball on us somewhat just because of the
0: athleticism that we have back there you've got a lot of good athletes on the field in key positions. What's the process been like to identify your best players and the guys that you want to have on the field, as many snaps as you can get, and is it tough to get them rest?
1: You know, about the rest, I, I don't know. I think every single-way ball club, probably their best athletes don't come off the field. And so, I, I don't know. They're athletic, and conditioning-wise, they seem to be okay. I guess from my perspective, it has taken us a little bit longer this year to find the best offensive plays to get into to, to try to enhance their abilities. And I think we're getting close. Last Friday night, we thought that was the week that we would come up with a no huddle and spread offense, because they've been a couple games this year where we would have liked to have had that opportunity. We needed to save some clock and things like that, and we think we've got the kids that can do that. And so we kind of laid it out there last Friday night with some success, and you know we'll continue to work on that, and that's just kind of another weapon. I always want to rely on a run game and plug people in to where we can just ball control if we want. But I think we have to take advantage of the fact that we can't throw the ball and we have those athletes that can can go get the ball.
0: Speaking of new weapons and new places, he used Dakota Wayne to run the ball. He had eight carries and a couple touchdown runs against Webster County. Was he running from a wingback spot? Was he running from a traditional tailback spot how does he fit in
1: well when we're going spread he's just we're going pistol and so he's the guy behind the quarterback and so he got the ball from that Point quite a bit he is still getting the feel of getting the ball and running it up in there now he runs hard but I think each week you can kind of see he will make a cut here and there where maybe two or three weeks ago he wasn't seeing and so he's becoming more comfortable with what he's being presented from there and so and, and he's important that's an important piece for us to have him be solid in that position so even though we are spreading it out we are still a threat to run the ball
0: is that from a teaching standpoint from your staff that he gets comfortable with that or do you have other players that are able to kind of give him a pointer here or there, like hey look for this look for that
1: no it's it's i think it's just repetitions and practice you know we've we've got enough game film on him and we kind of see where he's at and what he's doing even this week this week we're trying to clean some stuff up some fundamental stuff up to try to help him a little bit be a little bit more effective
0: let's talk about your quarterback is ethan finding the weapons the way you'd
1: like him to be finding them yeah, he is. And I still don't, I still think there's more out there for our passing game. He's being extremely cautious this year. I might even say he's being overly cautious because they've been a time or two. I'll give you, a, for instance, the Moorfield game. We got the ball back right before the half. There was four seconds left. We called a timeout. We was about on Moorfield's 40, 35, something like that. And called a timeout and called a pass play. A couple guys going deep. And last play of the half. And there wasn't anybody wide open, mm-hmm. but we got some guys that I think can go up and get the ball. So he was so cautious that he wouldn't throw it up. He took a sack, which didn't kill us. But as he comes over to the sideline, I said, I said, it's the last play. you got to give him a chance. Just throw it up and see if they can make a play. And so I would argue he's being too cautious. He hasn't thrown a pick this year. And that's just kind of his mental makeup is that he's going to be very careful with the ball, which that's going to win a lot of ball games. but. I still think we have the luxury of some guys that can make some plays if you just give them a chance. So I would like for him to kind of take a chance once in a while when he's throwing the ball downfield, more so than being really careful.
0: How much of a part of the maturation process is that understanding that not all these situations are one size fits all. It really is about situational football.
1: It it is. And like I say, a lot of people probably would listen to me right now and think, well, you're crazy. If you haven't thrown any picks, he's he's playing really high level football. And and so, but you know, sometimes I think we got guys that can make plays. We just got to give them a chance.
0: with the Roan County Raiders this week, they played Monday and got a win. Does it help you to have a team coming on a short week like this, or does it hurt because you've not had as much time to prep for them as you might have had with a team that have played Friday?
1: I, I would say a little bit of both. Rome County, they've really coaching-wise, I can't imagine the situation they've been in because they were shut down, weren't allowed to play, and then I think they had a positive case on their team. So they were 14 days that they couldn't practice. Mm-hmm. And so I think they practiced Friday and Saturday and did play Monday we had old tape from them and so we've been able to watch them Monday night and it is a short week for us but think about them they were preparing for Grafton played a Monday night and have to turn around Tuesday Wednesday Thursday to prepare for us so I I think it goes both ways we're all in a situation and I know I spoke with coach Burdett earlier and I don't even know if I realized how difficult a situation he was in that he wasn't getting to play or practice and we made the comment that you know this season you just hope you get to play your next game and and you look forward and you enjoy the fact that you're getting to play and we've been fortunate. We haven't missed any games. Uh, here we are in week eight, and he's had to play a Monday night game to get his fourth game in, and, and I don't blame him. I think if I'm in his situation, I want to play Monday because I want to see what my kids are in a situation, and then that helps him move forward to Friday. You know, we'll both show up, and we both had two or three days to prepare for each other, and we're a- a looking forward to making the trip to Run County.
0: And you've got a lot of weapons, too. Does that help you that you can run some fresh people and some fresh looks at a guy who might not have had as much time to prepare for those as some other coaches?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think since we've added some stuff, I would like to think that we uh, are harder to defend because, you know, earlier we were doing this and having success and now we're doing this. And so defensively, you know, do we, we wanted to get away from teams loading the box. And so now we feel like we're better able to do that. And
0: that's with the spread and
1: the no huddle. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to go no huddle. We can spread and still go from calling a play from the huddle and do that but i think that just gives us an, a, another layer of offense that we can throw at
0: people your team has bounced back from adversity in a couple areas this year you had the back-to-back losses to st mary's and doddridge and then you were down against moorfield you fell in a hole early in that game how is this team learning to win and overcome some of those things because they, there are a couple points of the season where things could have gone vastly differently in the other direction you know i agree with that the st mary's game our kids got
1: down we were down almost 21 nothing and we come back and we made a run at it and then the doddridge game i think that's a that's a rival game they took the lead right before the half of that, that that game comes down to we made a big play they made a big play and then they kept the ball and kicked the field goal i mean that was the game and so that was a tough loss for us but you know that's a team that's won what 30 some game win streak regular season and so even though we lost that game we were in it right to the end and i think our kids maybe have grown a little bit of being in that situation i told them one play changes that game if we had made one more play. And so I, I think we're maturing from that aspect of it. And then the Moorfield game may be ultimately the game I look back on and saying that that's when our kids turned a corner in what you're talking about. They, they figured it out. They got down 14-0 in the second quarter they get things rolling a little bit and we score three times and and we play well enough in the second half to hold on to that and and you know I I say that the second half of the Moorfield game we didn't do some of the things with scoring points for us in the second quarter because we had a lead and our kids managed that we ran enough clock and enough ball control and stuff like that so I do think they're maturing and I'll look back I think on the Moorfield game and say that's the game that kind of made us believers.
0: Was there a moment in that or something that was said that turned things around?
1: I, not that I can put my finger on. I don't know. I just think as a group, they collectively just kind of bonded together.
0: Good luck to you this week. Thank you for your time, and hopefully you get to keep playing. That's good. Good to be talking with you again, and
1: we are tickled to death to still be playing.
0: That's Ritchie County Head Coach Rick Hunt. The Rebels travel to Rhone County to take on the Rhone County Raiders Friday at 730. Talking last week about the questions that still need answers about the playoffs this season. What happens if a positive COVID case comes during the postseason on the team? I would imagine that shuts a team down that wasn't explicitly said. Who determines whether or not a team is eligible? Is that a local health department? And if so, do you see schools or players or coaches lying to get out of contact tracing? That could happen. And is there any wiggle room to the schedule? Does the Super 6 stay at its regular date and do the playoffs stay in the regular time frame? Or does that stretch a little bit or can that stretch a little bit? These are some things that still need answered about the 2020 postseason in West Virginia. Taking a look at our games here on the stations of Seven Rangers Radio and Middle Ohio Valley Radio. Light Rock 93R has the St. Mary's South Harrison game. The Blue was on the road for a second straight week as they visit Lost Creek to take on the South Harrison Hawks. WXCR 92.3 has Tyler Consolidated and Magnolia. That's on WXCR and WXCR.com. The Silver Knights looking for a win. Magnolia looking for a win. That should be two teams hungry to play. That should be a pretty intense matchup there, I would think. V96.9 does not have a game this week. Parkersburg South not an action as Wood County has changed to gold in the COVID metric map, so we'll see when the Patriots get back on the field. And WVAM, the True Oldies Channel, has PHS and John Marshall. That's one of the games on my list of games of the week. That's up there, PHS and John Marshall, because I'm interested to see how the Big Reds stop that John Marshall running attack. John Chalford, the voice of the Big Reds last week, said that he thought Bluefield would try to make it a horizontal game and go to the edges. Well, PHS shut that down. I think John Marshall tends to be a little bit more north and south of a running team, and can PHS handle that? the way they handle Bluefield, and will the speed of Dalton Flowers be a little bit too much? And the 1-2 combo of Dalton Flowers and Alec Burton, will that be too much for PHS to handle? Always keep an eye on the playoff teams, River and Eastern. That's a playoff game over in Ohio for River. That'll be their second playoff matchup this year. they got to buy the first week, so I'm interested to see what the pilots do against Eastern in the postseason. And Tyler Magnolia, for a game that features two sub-500 teams, I think the intensity is going to be a little bit different and a little bit higher than what you normally might see in late October. I know these are border counties, border schools and there's somewhat of a rivalry there but I really think the intensity is going to be there. The players are going to bring it in this game more so than you might otherwise see in a game with two schools of these records. Download us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Apple Podcasts as well. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. If you haven't already done so, like the Facebook page as well and interact with us there. Tell us how we're doing. That's our show this week. Stay healthy, wash your hands, and enjoy us here next week for another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Until then, enjoy of the games, everybody.
1: This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode and thanks for listening.